Hi there everyone, Chase Raz here, and what you're about to hear is a demo, a pilot episode of sorts for a podcast called The Zillica Observer. As you'll hear many times in the podcast, the purpose is to bring a business and education aspect to the community of token investors. We really want to avoid the bro space of most crypto content, and we're tapping into the Zillica community to do so because there's so much going on here. Anyway, enjoy the pilot, and you can reach me on Twitter, at Chase Raz. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Zillica Observer Podcast, Episode 1, What is Zillica? Today, I'm going to be your host. My name is Chase Raz. I'm going to be your host for this show, for this podcast, and wanted to give you a little bit of information about why I'm here, why we're doing this. But before I do that, let me also introduce one of my favorite people on this planet. Today's guest is Sixto Cabrera. How are you today, Six? I'm doing pretty good. Thank you for having me. I'm surprised. Favorite person on the planet. Wow. <laughs> I'm honored. I said one of the. Yeah, I mean, um, you, you, you know, you, you're not, you're not going to compete against my daughter or anything. Nothing no, like I, that. I, family's first. Yeah. So just to give a little bit of background. So I have an MBA, uh, master's degree in business and marketing and supply chain management. Fortune 100 experience where I've used financial analysis for really for the purposes of contract negotiation and various other things. And for the past 10 years plus, I've been a business educator, including a professor and corporate trainer. In fact, Six, you were one of my students. You have a bachelor's degree in entertainment, correct? Yeah. And, and and we sure. had the pleasure to meet a couple of years ago. Yes, in fact, in your digital marketing class, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, in a digital marketing class, absolutely. So you're also a streamer, right? And you are a BMW enthusiast, if I can embarrass you for a moment. You're currently uh, rebuilding two BMWs, aren't you? Trying to, yes. They're both incredibly pain. I don't know why I decided to take on two at once, but here I am now. You know, I, I, wonder, I wonder that as well. It, but, it's a good learning process. But yes. one of the things that led me to ask you to come on today for this first episode is that you're also a casual investor in fact, I should probably blame you for getting me into Robinhood and some of these uh, mobile applications for stocks a couple of years ago. I don't know, because I, I, got, I got into Robinhood back, I think maybe a year after I moved uh, to Florida, when I was just starting out, and I was just watching videos off YouTube one day, and I saw a lot of people like, Robinhood, an app to invest in stock, an easy way to invest in stocks without having to be a broker. I'm like, I'll try this out. And then like, I started trying it out. I didn't have enough money to put in like, a good investment in. I just wanted to see what it was about. And then there were times where I put in money, where I took it out. The more I kind of used Robinhood, the more I, I, I liked Robinhood as uh, a way to invest in stocks. And then I got a little more into it than before, probably the past year. And then now I'm more serious about it recently. I actually have it up on one of my monitors right now. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure. Yeah, but see, you know, this is the point, right? It, it it comes to this question of what does this business guy and this other business guy and and they're they've got all this background what are they doing talking about zilica and let me as we get into it as we start today let me just jump in with a couple of those points so are you ready six these are the just a few things we're only doing this because it's episode one just a few things before we start so that everybody you me everybody out there joining us is all on the same page let's go for it the first things first, with the Zillica Observer, 
we're taking a business approach to looking at this cryptocurrency, to looking at to looking at this utility token. And we're not trying to appeal to the crypto bro mentality. It's out there. It's everywhere. In fact, Six, I think we ought to have a swear jar on this show. And if anybody says PAMP, Moon, Launch, Rocket, or any particular styling of alt season, then you have to you have to put crypto into the swear jar. I think I think that's just how it's going to have to go. So we're we're taking a business first approach. And I, I want to pause with trend analysis for a moment because if you're watching the visual version of this podcast, I just put on screen this quote that says, past performance is not indicative of future performance. You've probably heard every financial expert ever in your life tell you that. And so what I'm looking at online is a lot of people doing pattern analysis. That's just one way of doing trend analysis. And I see all these patterns in the crypto space and I'm looking at it like that's part of the story. But as we know, past performance, which is what we're doing with trend analysis, what has happened in the past, what's happening now, and they're trying to predict what's happening in the future. Now, I'm not saying it doesn't work at all, but it's it's a very, <laughs> it's like the least possible input you could have. If you have nothing else to go on, you use trend analysis. So I love all of the charting that's done. Don't get me wrong. But trend analysis is more like, let's pull from the business background here. Trend analysis is more than just patterns. You know, I'm guilty of it. I call out bull flags on social media. I call out fractals and curves and all of that. But if you don't have the so, really the operational data to go along with the trend of the market, what's happening within an organization, whether it's a, a company for a stock, whether it's an organization for a crypto token, and you don't have the social information, right? Then all of that trend analysis is pretty much worth nothing. So I'm I'm I digress on that topic a little bit, but I don't think that any of us want to take this from the angle of going down trend analysis. And I'll tell you why. Six, you were in one of my classes, right? You know I like to get technical. Yes, you do. <laughs> Can I read you a a title of a research article? Let me give you the level of trend analysis that's happening within business. And you tell me, we'll play this game. You tell me if you think those of us who are on social media playing this crypto game, you tell me if you think we're up to this level, right? Ready for that game? Uh, okay. Here's the title. Transfer entropy as a variable selection methodology for cryptocurrencies and the framework of a high dimensional predictive model. <laughs> I, I didn't know what any of that said. <laughs> that's that's perfect. That's the point, right? They're using things like reduced rank regression, canonical correlation analysis. I'm not doing that. Yeah, right? I'm not like, doing that stuff. Uh, I've never heard Chase use any of these words ever or do any of these things. Exactly. <laughs> but look, I'm not here to pick on the community because one of the things that led me to do this when I first reached out to you and when I put this idea together is because I love the Zillica community. The Zill community has been amazingly crazy. In fact, Six, you were you were kind of commenting to me behind the scenes the other day that it's almost like stumbling into a Zillica cult, minus the cult part. Yes, that's kind of that's kind of what it would. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of it. You got it. <laughs> Feels feels a little cultish. It's almost like that typical crypto bro thing of the Bitcoin versus Ethereum people going back and forth, but. When I came to this approach, 
there was just so much more to it. And it's not just Zillica, by the way. That was kind of the idea of this cultish thing that Six, you were kind of telling me, like, what what did you stumble into? What's going on? But really awesome people in the Zillica community. Because um, yeah, I saw I saw just like the overwhelming amount of positivity in the comment section, how everybody was congratulating, like, oh, you, you know, you, you stumbled upon this. It's like, this is great. I'm like, wow, usually this is not how that works, but wow. And then people start bashing each other. It's like, oh, listen, it's soft. Like, no. I mean, there is some of that. I got into some of that the other day. I had to explain to somebody that like, I'm not a trader. Mm-hmm. I'm not over here trading. That's not even part of the calculation of this. So when, when it becomes that obvious that, you know, something like crypto is not ready for mainstream. Let me just put that out there. It's not. A lot of people want it to be. There's just n- not a level of understanding for it currently. There's, there's still a long way to go before we get there. But I, I think addressing this idea of it can feel like we're just sitting there and pumping. I did not say pamp. It's sitting there pumping our own it. ideas that I thought, wait a second, hold on, hold on, hold on. Everybody sees me putting that little dollar sign zill in my tweets and they think, oh no, here comes somebody else pumping this thing. And it's like, let's put a face on it, right? I have a corporate background. You have a business background. We've been in, like, let's put a real face on this and say, this is why we're looking not just at crypto, because people could do hundreds of different shows like this on different tokens and different coins. But here's why we're looking at Zillica in particular and remove that cult-like feeling. So if, if you bear with me for a moment, I do want to deliver on the promise of this episode to explain to some degree what Zillica is. So if, if you're familiar with the idea of a blockchain, Zillica is a base layer blockchain, or it's a level one blockchain. And what that means is the blockchain stands on its own. Now, I've said blockchain a lot in the past few sentences, and right, I'm assuming that everybody kind of knows what one is. If not, we've discussed that at another time or something, but it is a layer one blockchain. Think of it like its own ecosystem. In the early days, and since I'm sure you remember this, almost everything was a layer one blockchain. You'd have like Bitcoin, Monero, Litecoin. You'd get all of these back when there were only a handful, and everything's its own standalone isolated thing. The big ones you'd think of are Bitcoin, Ethereum, Cardano, Cosmos, you, you, right? Like just so many, Elrond, Polkadot, Tezos. There's just a plethora of layer one blockchains that are really trying to break out. One of the concerns right now is a lot of these layer ones are trying to be Ethereum killers. So you have Bitcoin, which is a store of value. that's what it is. It stores value and it exchanges value. You have Ethereum that comes along and says, we can go beyond that and we can have a decentralized computing platform on this blockchain. Well, everybody else looks like they're trying to come along and knock off Ethereum as the number two chain to get to that position to knock off Bitcoin. That's just not, I I see you kind of laughing over there. What are your thoughts on that? I see it as a, because I'm I'm equating this to just how businesses work as well when it comes to competition. And I feel like a lot of, just like as a parallel, a lot of businesses just focus on trying to one-up their competition rather than create or focus more on the product that they're trying to, that they're trying to push out to outsell or be better than their competition because all they end up wanting to do is just be better than their competition, not just product-wise. And then they kind of will eventually kind of cloud the, the whole vision of where that said business was going and then they run into a wall and then they can't really do much from there. Yeah, because you can't 
look, from a business fundamentals point of view, you can't go very far thinking you should be the only game in town. Yeah. If you're Coca-Cola, you've got to stop for a moment and think how much your sales are benefited by Pepsi existing. And that seem I get that to, to a lot of people that seems counterintuitive. But again, that's the voice that that we're over here trying to add in is that from the business perspective, from the business point of view, you know, the disclaimer between all of this, none of this is financial advice. But from that business point of view, there is room and there is space for all of these and they can compete and collaborate at the same time. And they fill various niches that, right, it, it goes beyond just like, oh, which one's going to win? Like is Polkadot or Cardano, those two are really neck and neck right now trying to, they're, they're both pushing up in the top five in terms of market cap for, for blockchains. Like, oh, which one's going to top Ether? Like, why does that need to happen at all? And if it does, this idea of what, here's the swear jar, the flippening. If a flippening happens, then like, does it really have the ramifications that a lot of people in the crypto space think it does? It's it's like, well, Tesla's more valuable than than Toyota right now. But that doesn't mean that they have a whole bunch of units on the road. I think all of that to say that Zilliqa is a layer one blockchain. And I think a way to think about this or rather I'd like to present a way to think about this is as an ecosystem, as a blockchain ecosystem. Now, I know that other people in the business community are probably gonna want to reach through the computer and punch me for giving this particular analogy because uh -huh. it will break down. But if you think, stop laughing at me, Six. If you think of the iPhone as a layer one type of device, right? Phones used to be powered by the hardware by the network they operated on, by the radio transceiver. That's not the case anymore. It's all software. And this is sort of a, tr a parallel between, you know, finance used to work on banks and all of these things. Now it's, we've got this, this other thing, this software. And so if we look at mobile phones and Apple has iOS, then it is this layer one and you can build applications on top of it. You can extend its capability. But if we were to look at Samsung, well, Samsung's not integrated in the same way. It might be something like a layer two. The reason is you've got Google building Android, but Samsung's coming into taking more software, more hardware, and improving that thing another layer one has created. So look, at that point, I admit this whole analogy breaks down from this point, but it does, when we take it at least to this level, it does point out that each thing, each, each layer one has its own niche has its own focus, has its own purpose, and its justification in life. So Six, kind of back to your stock analogy, would you ever buy stock in two competing companies? As a casual investor, when it comes to stocks, I would honestly do so. Reason being, it's that competition that does equate to growth and some sort of innovation. Like, so to the, the analogy that we're using about between Apple and then Android, I was making the faces because a, it was such a touchy subject back then. It is still sort of is now people saying Apple is better, Android is better. But the reason that they're both getting better and that things are being added is because people have big buddy heads of what's better. We now look in the mobile space and we see that a lot of the things that Android has been doing, Apple now does. The things that Apple have been doing, Android has been trying to incorporate because they're competing. It's what competitors do. They try to one-up each other by trying to make their features better, but by trying to one-up each other, they make new features. They try to bring audience in. And I personally would invest in 
uh, opposing companies just because of that competition, that innovation that will come out of that because then that will equate to stock growth in either one or both of those companies. I think it's a really good point and something we should really be bringing over to the crypto space to any any type of investment, really that same mindset that there isn't one, there isn't one ring to, to rule them all. So when we are talking about these, these things can coexist. They can niche out, they can, they can work together, they can cooperate. The real thing that brought me to Zillica initially was focusing on the, really on the ASEAN market, the Association of Southeast Asian Nations. This is a collection of 10 nations, Thailand, Myanmar, Laos, uh, Vietnam, Cambodia, Malaysia, Brunei, Singapore, Philippines, and Indonesia. This, this really political and economic and cultural alliance has lasted over 50 years. Now, not all 10 of those have been in for the entire duration. And I don't want to go too far down the history of, of this ASEAN block because it's not about crypto. That's not why they exist. But when we're looking at Zillica coming in and making a distinct value proposition, this is where they're focusing. They're focusing, they're, they're based out of Singapore. They're focusing on this area, this particular area, these 10 countries in Southeast Asia, they have free trade agreements that are either in place or going into place, depending on the location we're talking about, all the way from India to Japan to New Zealand. If you were to draw a triangle from India to Japan, down to New Zealand, that entire area stands to be a giant free trade area because of this particular organization. And so that's the market that Zillica is focusing on. I think to Western folks, especially those of us in North America, we would think of what if, you know, what if you had a lot more countries and a lot more input into something like NAFTA or its current replacement of the USMCA? That's the the idea of what this block of countries um, is doing. Now, if grouped together, this group of countries, this 10 group of countries, they would make the sixth largest economy. Now that puts them somewhere around the size of California's economy, somewhere around the size, I believe, of what Brazil used to be. Now, uh, I, I'm going to back off of that because Brazil's economy is a little bit different story. According to CNBC International, though, that would put this block of countries as about equal to the United Kingdom in, in terms of GDP. So what Zillica is doing is primarily focusing on the on, on these ASEAN markets and focusing on open finance within them. So we have to talk about open finance or some people call it decentralized finance or DeFi. I always think that's really cute. I, I notice a lot of people online have never said that out loud to themselves because they've never associated the word with DeFi, D-E-F-Y. But DeFi, decentralized finance, open finance, is the idea of instead of using traditional brokerages, traditional exchanges, traditional banks, we can get rid of all of that and using the immutable nature of blockchain, using the trustless nature of blockchain. Now that's not, those two things are not inherent in all blockchains. But if we have a blockchain that's immutable and trustless, we can replace those institutions and have this idea of open finance where we don't need a bank. Six, so if I want to send you $100 right now, I don't need a bank to vouch that my account is good for it. We have, and then we know what the blockchain does. It has consensus and it verifies that, yes, I'm good for it. It transfers that money from my wallet to your wallet. End of story. We're done. You now have the $100. 
So when we're looking at the niche out of these different blockchains, the ASEAN open finance market is where Zilliqa's really, really focusing. And they've made inroads. Working with a company called Xvers, also out of Singapore, they have created the first stable coin based on the Singapore dollar. So this stable coin is under XSGD. So it's one, one of these digital dollars for one Singapore dollar. It sounds like, yeah, great. There are a whole bunch of U.S. stable coins. There are, you know, Euro stable coins or Japanese yen stable coins. But the thing that's different here is with Singapore being one of the leaders in the crypto space globally in terms of regulation, in terms of adoption, it's all under the regulation of Singapore. All approved, all, all the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. Let's put it that way. All of it's happening under this progressive cryptocurrency favoring regulation in Singapore. And so we have the Singapore digital dollar and on uh, Zilliqa powers all of that. And on top of Zilliqa is also coming the pillar protocol, which will enable the creation of other stable coins. Again, stable coins aren't something new. They're not the only sales point here. It's more of the idea of how entrenched with traditional governments, finance, banking, companies, and how does how does the system create a future for those organizations to move into cryptocurrency, to move into blockchain, to move into decentralized or open operation? And for a business person, this is like, here it is. Sure, they're focusing on the ASEAN market, but again, it ranges from India to Japan to New Zealand and the overall scope that this organization, that this association of countries has. So that is just really a, a much more massive thing than I think a lot of people give it credit for being. I don't think it impresses anybody that there's a stable coin on the Singapore dollar. I think it's more that there's no regulatory threat to it. But look, it's not just about that. With any layer one blockchain, you can go beyond that. It's about the running of smart contracts or decentralized applications. We mostly see the, the activity there on Ethereum, but Zilliqa is capable of it. Other level one blockchains for the most part are capable of it. This is not a feature of, of Bitcoin or some of the older ones, but the current design of a lot of layer ones enables this idea of smart contracts. This is where, for me as a business, but this was my entry, by the way, six into crypto. For me, it was, I've written contracts before. I've had to make sure they're executed at the right time if all criteria is met. And the moment somebody, this is like in 2016 maybe, the moment somebody introduced me to Ethereum and said, oh, by the way, you can write a piece of software that checks for all those things. And when they've happened, it automatically, you know, executes, it automatically does. I thought, oh my goodness, that would have replaced my job at a Fortune 100 company. So that was my first experience with crypto other than just hearing about it. What about you, Six? What was your first entry point into crypto, Zilliqa or otherwise? My first entry point, it was, it was, it wasn't, as much of a kind of like a discovery moment, it was more of a kind of a hardware thing that led to the discovery of, of what uh, cryptocurrencies were. I was like, huh, Bitcoin is mining. What's that? And then I kind of looked it up. I'm like, oh, this is what it is. And then I started trying to mine it myself. And then that's the introduction I got for Bitcoin. It started out as just hardware related in terms of how to mine it. And then it became into like, oh, this is what cryptocurrencies are. Well, you set up a perfect you know, transition that I didn't expect to happen because now when you're looking at mining Bitcoin, for instance, even Ether to some degree, it takes a lot of raw computing power. And so 
the, this other thing, as we're backing off of the ASEAN market and I'm saying, okay, now it's global in scope, we can also have smart contracts like a lot of the other layer ones, or at least a lot of the modern ones. But there's also this idea of sharding, and Zillica was the first blockchain network to introduce sharding. And what it does is it says, you know, all of that hardware that's required to mine Bitcoin, which is required because the more people come in, the more we have to increase the computational difficulty. Otherwise, it's just printing money, right? You're, you're just going to run out of the supply immediately and then have a whole other problem on your hands and the, the thing will collapse. All of that is powered by proof of work, right? This is the algorithm that it uses, proof of work. And so basically, you're telling your equipment, do a lot of work. Do a lot, perform a lot of calculations. We're looking for the lowest hash. Again, not, not something we're going to, you know, not here to describe the algorithms, but you're looking for the lowest possible hash. And then that hash is connected with the block and the blockchain. But this idea of proof of work, the more people you have mining, the harder you have to make the computations, meaning the more equipment you have to use, the more power you have to use, et cetera. And people have been looking for solutions for this for quite a while. Now, it, we, we mathematically, we know what they are, but it's about implementing them on a blockchain and having that work. Proof of stake is a very big method of doing this. This is what Ethereum is moving to, proof of stake. You basically say, look, I'm going to stake some of my money, which means I, I retain possession of it, but I can't use it as liquid uh, liquid asset. It's going to be tied up. And then I get paid back you know, some amount. I run a node. I have to stake a certain amount, run a node, and then I get money back. Now, there are exceptions to that. You can stake without a node, but again, neither here nor there. And so what it does is it says, instead of having a computational arms race, let's go ahead and let everybody compute according to the share of, of this coin or token that they have. So if you own a fifth of all of a particular token, you get to mine a fifth of all transactions and write them to the blocks that make up the blockchain. Zillica is going a different route and has. What they decided to do was keep proof of work, saying proof of work isn't the problem. Proof of work versus proof of, of stake isn't what's going to make the big difference, but they implemented something else called practical Byzantine fault tolerance. I am not a mathematician. That's the name of it. Right? Like, let me leave it there. Practical Byzantine fault tolerance. It is fun to read about, but practical Byzantine fault tolerance determines how and which nodes are going to process, and then they ultimately process using proof of work. Now, Zillica, because it's doing this, means we don't have to spend all of this money, all of this power, all of this complex mining equipment. In fact, the people who are mining Zillica are typically doing dual mining and mining another thing, and about one or two minutes out of every hour, they stop mining that, switch over to Zillica, and then switch back. So much lower resources, much faster transactions, much cheaper transactions. And again, Zillica was the first to implement that particular technology of sharding through any method, through proof of stake, through Byzantine fault tolerance, through, any, through anything. So very notable there, even though they're not financially in their token price, not performing at the rate of some other layer ones at the time of recording, that's a pretty big thing. Because six, I would venture to say that you don't want to take an entire room in your house or build entire warehouse size structures in Siberia or Saudi Arabia or right, China or Central America. I don't know. I do mine and I feel a little bit environmentally conscious about it. Well, I mean, I do love hardware. So I, I feel like I'd be the type of person to dedicate like maybe uh, 
a few rigs or like a room full of rigs to mining just for the enjoyment of building the rigs like hardware on the hardware side because i'm a very big hardware guy your business side kicks in and goes well if i can do that and have a hundred a thousand whatever the percentage or the one the multiplier is more efficiency like that's that's where your eyebrows come up and go wait a second i get to build it and have more efficiency and do more with the same amount see chase is exposing me <laughs> because he's right <laughs> if if like i'm able to if i'm able to like have as people say have my cake needed to in terms of do the hardware and also be able to profit off of it and be as efficient with it as possible to make the most out of the hardware that i'm building and using it for a specific purpose and yeah i would be all in absolutely so look, we're, we're we're running a little bit short on time. I want to keep these short and I want to keep these digestible. So there was something we were going to talk about in a little bit, but I'm I'm just going to I'm going to save that for the future. How about that? What I'll end on is not only do we have this focus on the ASEAN market, not only do we have smart contracts, not only do we have the first network to deploy sharding, although others have, there are many others that have since. But taking that idea of what well, we've reduced the computational complexity Zilliqa still decided to implement staking. This proof of share concept that we normally see of, hey, you know what, you have to verify you have so many to run a node, and then you get a return or you get a percentage of the transactions that happen on the blockchain. Zilliqa said, why not? Let's have people stake. They stake with the nodes that are powering this, this practical Byzantine fault tolerance and, and proof of work combination. Let's go ahead and have people stake. Let's go ahead and give them a, re a return. And like other other networks let's allow liquidity mining and let's create you know a token swamp let's do all of they worked with switchio to do that uh, again there is not enough time given the format we want to do here in one particular episode to say look here are all the things that are on the zilliqa network but to give this high level overview it's that the focus on the southeast asian market and the ramifications for reaching all throughout asia and to the, even australia and the pacific smart contracts sharding, open finance, staking, liquidity. These are really the, the selling points if there were any for Zillica. That was a handoff to you. <laughs> no, it's okay, it's okay. I'm ready to uh, say, Mr. Chase, I'm ready to, I guess, be here to learn along with everybody else. Be here to learn, be here to add input from a side that usually not a lot of people like to be on when it comes to cryptocurrency they just want to be all in but coming from someone who's completely on a different side like a business end that's a great thing we, we because that's to go mainstream you have to have all of that you have to be able to bring in the people who don't necessarily care about finance but need to pay their bills mm -hmm. you need to bring in the people who are our business folks who are going to power sort of the operational stuff behind it you need to right there it takes a lot more than hobbyist investors to make something like this work and hopefully you know hopefully i'm, I'm I'd, I'd love to be part of the cumulative voices that make that happen for for episode one let's go ahead and call it quits i'm chase raz you are i'm a sister cabrera and this is the zillica observer thanks for listening to this initial first pilot episode of the zillica observer there were some problems with our decision to use a business meeting app to record, and that caused some lower quality audio and tiny video windows in case you're watching on YouTube, but we'll get all of that corrected over time. A new episode is coming in February 2021, and I already have a lot of great content and information planned. But 
message me on Twitter at Chase Raz and let me know what you'd like to hear.